Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Well, if you were here last week, or if you've listened to the sermon on Sermon Audio, uh, y'all may know that Pablo's still trying to catch up from last week's preaching. It was, uh, it was pretty fast and furious, and uh, I so appreciate Vincent, and I appreciate uh, he and Leah and Ruth coming. You guys been hospitable to them. So this week, we're looking at the, the talents, uh, the parable of the talents. Then we're going to take a couple of weeks and, and look at uh, uh, a couple of things out of this text that someone might ask themselves. First, first of all, is this a teaching on salvation by works? So if, when, you, when you hear it preached this morning, when you read it, now, there could be a question about salvation by works. So we're going to spend a week uh, looking at that. And then the second thing we're going to look at, and hopefully you'll see it this morning, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have, to, I have to swallow this stuff and read it several times uh, to, to begin to see it. And then it, uh, it kind of begins to come, come alive maybe, and you begin to see things, but... Uh, I think in this, there's, there's a, a tad bit of hint of what heaven may be like. All right? Now, I don't know. I didn't look it up yet. Somebody could probably Google it right now and tell me. I didn't look it up yet, but how many times the word heaven is used in the King James translation? It's a bunch. But when it comes to details about what will be going on in heaven, there's not much information. But we're going to look at that if, uh, if there's something about this scripture that might tell us. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I don't know who, who, it said, who said it. Uh, Jeannie and I were talking about this week. There, there won't be a whole lot of time in heaven to twiddle your thumbs and daydream and, and sing uh, Kumbala. Okay, there, there won't be, that's not heaven. Are you with me? That's not heaven. So what does heaven look like? And what will we be doing there? For you young people, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of video games there. I just don't think there'll be a whole lot of that. A whole lot of the stuff that consumes us, we're not going to have to worry about cell phones and whether you got it or not, whether you got the text or not, whether you got your phone or own or not, we won't be worried about that kind of stuff in heaven. So if that stuff consumes you here and now, you probably won't be he- happy in heaven initially you get past the shock of it. Anyway, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Okay, so we've already read the uh, Scripture, and, and so I'm not going to go back and reread the Scripture to you. So let's, let's go right into the introduction. So in this text, we find the disciples, after being warned over and over again to think about His kingdom. Now, why is He warning His disciples to think over and over again about the kingdom? Because in a few days, what's going to happen to him? He's going to die and he's going to go to the tomb. And he is going to be three days there, resurrected here, 40 days. Soon, he's going to be out of here. So he's going to be leaving them. Now, what the disciples and what we are prone to look at is we can envision when his kingdom comes, a lot of rest and a lot of happiness... But we've got to remember that he achieved what he achieved 
by going through the cross. Uh, Christianity and living in His kingdom, especially here and in, in, in the now, uh, it, in, it involves a cross. It involves trouble in this life. And He's warning them about that. They were still looking for that great kingdom that's going to overthrow the Romans and set up His earthly rule here in where these 12 guys think they'll probably be in charge. That's what they're still waiting for. So they only had a worldly sense of what his kingdom ought to look like. You know, the only thing we can, we, out of which we have to think about heaven is what's happening here. I mean, we, we don't know. We haven't been there. And sometimes we get more things in our imagination than we find in Scripture. So we know that nothing significant has changed from chapter 24 to chapter 25. Now Jesus is using teaching. He's using parables to teach. And all of chapter 25 is just a continual reference to the second coming of Christ in the end of the world. That's what he continues to teach on. Now, why was he teaching on that? He was rapidly approaching his death and him being out of here. They were going to be here without him. He was trying to get them ready for that. I told you the last time we met that there was three distinct divisions in chapter 25. In, in one of them, we have, he's going to return. And if he's going to return, we've got to be watching. We've got to be ready. We have got to, and in order to be that, we've got to have a, a religion. We've got to have a Christianity that's defined by having a new heart, a changed life, and a new direction. That's what makes us ready, is having a, a, a new beginning that helps us to be followers of Christ. In the second parable today, we're looking at diligence and faithfulness. We are looking at he's left us here and he's given us some duties to take care of while we're still here. And the third thing we'll look at uh, in a a few weeks is the detailed description of the day of judgment. Now look, I, I see it as being a glorious day for followers of Christ. I think it's going to be a glorious day. But for those that are not followers of Christ, it's going to be a terrible, fearful day. So, in the parable of the virgins, we looked at them being ready, watching, and doing what? Waiting. Half of them did good. Half of them didn't do so good. So, today, in the parables of talents, what will we be looking at? We were waiting... And now he's saying, and by the way, while you're waiting, you'll be doing what? Working. Y'all get that? Working. Not sitting on your hands, not idly passing the time, but working as in his kingdom, working to advance his kingdom. And as we go through this today, you'll see, see all of that. So let's jump right into the text. Chapter... Well, before we do that, let me give you just a couple of more thoughts. So in the study of the wise and foolish virgins, we saw that there were two good ways to answer the question. The question is, how do I know I'm ready for the Lord's return? How do I know that? Is that not a question we should often ask ourselves? If we're not asking ourselves that question, we probably won't be ready. 
Paul and I were talking about it this morning. Uh, and I, I think he's exactly right. Uh, I, think, I think when we think about death, when we think about burial, when we think about cremation, when we think about resurrection from the grave and standing before God in judgment and then finding our eternal destiny given to us, I think that changes the way that we wait. But it, listen, in America, I'm telling you, people absolutely, they hate funerals. They never think about death. Or if they do think about the death, they think God's good. He's not going to send anybody to hell. Or everybody's going to heaven. That's the only way they can think about death and do anything with it that gives them any kind of peace. So how do I know I'm ready for the Lord's return? Is that not a fair question? Would it not be a fair question for you to ask yourself or me to ask you, are you ready for the Lord's return? So, am I actively serving the Lord? Number two, am I serving Him because I love Him or because I want to get something out of it or I don't want Brother Bruce to be upset or that's what my wife wants me to do? Everything we do should come out of a love for Jesus Christ and what He's done for us and what He's doing for us and what He is going to do for us. That ought to be our motive. I ought not have to prod you or poke you at all. I ought to have to caution you about doing too much. Really? Do you know who you were? Do you know where I was headed? Do you know what he did? Am I serving him, his church, and others? Because, I, again, it's that love I have for Christ. That ought to motivate us. So, the parable of the virgins addressed this. Today's parable... The parable of the talents addresses this. That they were waiting, they were watching, we're to be working, and then the parable of the sheep of the goats is going to address there is a day of judgment. Uh, there isn't a day of accountability. We are here today, and that last week we were talking about watching and waiting. Today we're carrying that that teaching a step further. What are we to be doing while we're watching and waiting? You with me? We've got something to do. We're here and we're taking it a step forward. All three of these teachings address judgment. At some point, they address judgment. What happened with the parable of the virgins? He came, they weren't there, they went into the banquet, and what happened? They shut the door. Today, the guy that hid his, hid his talent he heard those words, away from me, you evildoers, into the place of, 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 of the gnashing of the teeth, into hell. What about the, the last day, the final day of the judgment, the sheep and the goats? Sheep over here and the goats over here. We are moving forward in this teaching. So three times, Jesus is teaching us, listen, in one chapter, he's teaching about this. Listen, there is a judgment to come. I mean, you can't be any kind of reader of the Bible. You can't be any kind of, 
a person of thinking and understanding to not know there's a judgment to come. He wants us to see that. He's going to the cross. They would see him no more. He is over and over reminding them and in turn reminding us he will return and he will judge the world. Listen, all of that I prayed about, all the, all the perversion, all the foolishness, all the corruption, all the greed, all the power seeking, all those people that got billions of dollars of money and don't know what to do with it, those evil people will be judged. So, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. Now, I want you to understand whether it's, whether it's the word slave or servant. I want to tell you in that culture, in that setting, a trusted servant was an important person in the house. Just like Joseph in Egypt. How trusted was that servant? How trusted was that slave? When the master went away, he left him in charge of everything. It's a big deal. This is someone that he trusted. For it be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to him his property. He left everything in his charge. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So we have a man with some means. He had some stuff. He had an estate going on a journey. And, and we are being taught, it's teaching us, that the Lord Jesus Christ is away, and we have been and may continue to be in much toil and much enduring and much work until he comes back. I mean, he didn't leave to go off on this trip and leave everything in charge of the servant. They had to go to work. They had to take care of things while he was gone. Now, there's much of the same in, in, in Luke chapter 19. Uh, I believe it's starting in about thir verse 13. Uh, the parable of the minas, minas and, and some people look at this as being the same. Some people look at it being different. It's got a whole lot of similarities. It's got some differences. I, I don't know. It's not, it's, it's not worth uh, me trying to figure that out when nobody or many people in the past have not agreed it, whether it's the same or not. And whichever way you want to go with it, that's fine. So this man of means who is traveling is none other than Christ. For us, it's a representation of Christ being gone. The goods, the talents given to his servants are gifts which God gives to men. You have been given gifts. You have been given talents. We all have. They have been given that. And all the gifts of God are given by providence or by grace. Uh, none of us deserved them. I mean, we didn't earn them. These are things that he gave to us just out of his good pleasure, pleasure and, that's, and that's the way he decided to do it. Uh, verse 15 says, These gifts were given according to ability. He knew what each man could do. 
And He knows what each one of us can do. He knows what we cannot do. And He gifts us accordingly to that. In degrees. Each servant did not get the same. This shows God's unequal distribution of His gifts to the sons of men. I'm not serving where John MacArthur is serving. I'm not serving where Josh Bice is serving. I'm not serving where Kevin Sarton is serving. I'm serving here. And he gave me gifts particular for this situation. He makes those assignments. Romans 12, 6, you have the scripture. Having gifts that what? Differ according to grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He determines who's, who, who get what's gifts and how much ability they have in that gift. So He did it according to His own good pleasure. This is true of the things of nature. Some people have more understanding than others. Some people have better judgment than others. Some people have a better memory than others. Who decided all of that? Your mom and daddy? You? No. God decided that. And those things that are of the world, which people would consider, quote, the most important, like fortunes and riches and honors and notice, who determined that? God did. God determined that. Christians, we would call them the good things of providence. Providentially, listen, somewhere, sometimes, somewhere in your life, you've got to think to yourself, this is who I am, this is where I'm at, and God put me here to be working to advance His kingdom. That's just the fact of the matter. Ephesians 4.11, you have it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You see all the different talents and gifts that he gave out? Now, this is not a, uh, what do you call it, conclusive list. This is, not, this is not the end of the list. This is just some that he is referring to. Because it's the same God who gives us power to get whatever, whatever we're able to acquire. Whatever we're able to do, where do we get that ability? Deuteronomy 8.18 You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this, this day. So, the, young people, I, 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 we used to. I figure they still are dreaming to grow up and be a millionaire and have lots of money. I see how foolish that is now. Solomon saw how foolish that is now. But even the ability to get wealth, did you hear this scripture? Some people didn't just, uh, just out of the blue, they became great interpreter. Inter, how's that word? Entrepreneur. Interp, yeah, thank y'all so much. I shouldn't even have tried it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A guy that's really good at making money, right? Well, where'd that come from? 
What's it say? You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. That He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. I mean, if you are good at managing money, who gave you that ability? Some people can't keep a checkbook. I mean, it's just like a foreign language to them. To study, meditate, and to comprehend, to think the causes of things. Where does that ability come from? He also gives some the ability to self-control and to, go- to govern and bridle their tongues or their appetites. Some of us have to work at it. He does all that. Why? For His good pleasure and for His glory. What seems best according to His wisdom. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? I love this scripture. Look in the mirror. Who sees any different in you? What do you have that you did not receive as a gift? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it and it was all of your own works? I I love that language. He just reached down and picked himself up by his bootstraps. If he did, where, did, where came that desire and the willingness to do that? 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. Now, here you go. Y'all, are y'all listening now? As each has received a gift. Did, how many received a gift? Now, wait a minute. I am not hearing all of you. Each of you received a gift. As each has received a gift, do what? Use it to serve who? So that means we can't be too selfish all the time, right? Okay. As good stewards of God's, what kind of grace? Varied. In the beginning, who? Tell me the fourth word of the Bible. In the beginning, God. So after that, God ought to have full opportunity the full right to do anything he wants to do with everything that he created, which is after the fourth word of the Bible, forward. In the beginning, God created what? Everything. Including me and you. Knowing this, in the beginning, God, we should be better than okay with God giving out all that he gives the exact way that he wants to give it out. Whatever, this, this, might be, uh, this might be a little worldly language, whatever my lot may be, I ought to be what? Satisfied in it and live in it in such a way that I do all I can for God's glory, giving him all the credit and honor if I do any good. Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
When did he go? At once. You see that? And he traded with them. He worked with them. He made five talents more. So also, who had two talents made two talents more. They both doubled the returns, right? But they didn't both have the same ability. They weren't both given the same amount. But they worked with it. Verse 18, But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Matthew 13, 44. Now what two of these understood... And the last one didn't understand is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Listen, whatever talents, whatever gifts, whatever God has given you, by this text we taught that it is what? It is valuable. It's valuable to you. It's valuable to your master. It's valuable to others. And we, we, we should treat it with respect. You understand that? It's valuable. Whatever you have that God gave you is valuable. It's particularly valuable to who? The one who gave it to you. It's particularly valuable in you using it to advance his kingdom. It's valuable. Use it wisely. Five talents. Traded in the world. What's, what's, that, what's that look like? Well, it's, it's probably just that. He took some of what, uh, what his master had left at him, whether it had been a business or money uh, or whatever it might be, and he invested it wisely in the world and multiplied the product for his master. He traded wisely. He worked hard. He was diligent. He was, he was wise in his dealings with the things of the world. We are to work and trade and labor and manage. Did you hear me? Listen, I believe it says in Genesis chapter 2, I believe it's verse 15, He, he has put us here to work and to keep what He has given us. It's a mandate from God to work and to keep. We're to work and trade and labor and manage all that we have been given in every realm for His glory. We are to work and to keep. It's His mandate for us that we do that while He's left us here. Uh, now, let me, let me tell you this. Verse 18, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. I think there's some real danger in being the one that had only one talent. One guy had five, one guy had two, and one guy had one. Just because you might not have five talents, you can't teach and lead worship and, uh, and preach and counsel folks, just because you can't do four or five different things, okay, you might think the one little thing you can do is not important. But this one talent was what? It was important to the master. And whatever, whatever one or two or three that you have, talents, gifts that you have to God and to this local church, listen to me, is important. And it make it, the local church may can make it without it, 
but it could do much better with it, right? So I think there's a, a, a little thinking that we have to, to do that. Okay. Uh, we, have, we have talents that we can use in the home. We have talents and gifts we can use in our family that we can use in, in the church. We, we, may, we may be good at the work in the world. We may find a lot of esteem out of what we do out in the world. And, and I think about, and I'll I, just to be honest with you, I've thought about some of you this week. You're very successful in what you do in the world. But very little involved in the work of the church. Where you could probably just be as successful in those gifts and talents as you are in the world. I want you to think about that. Because most people that are successful out there, right? If they use those same talents, what? Here, they would be just as successful. And I'll I'll just tell you, are y'all listening? Have I got your attention? It's way more important what you do here because it's dealing with the soul than what you do out there. So I just want you to think about those gifts and talents that you hear and you get all kinds of accolades and you hear all these kind of things about what a great job this guy or this lady does out there. I'm just challenging you to take those gifts and talents that you got from who? Even those out there. Come on now. Who'd you get them from? The Lord. And use them in His church. Now, so it becomes pretty obvious here in the Scripture, does it not? That immediately, men and women handle what God gives, gives to them differently. Everybody takes and handles what gifts they have in different manners. And God expects that. He expects that. So we can see here that even when it comes to God's grace towards us, we will all often receive and do with it differently. And God expects it. But, but here's what I want you to understand. Are y'all, y'all ready for this now? Listen. He doesn't expect you to take whatever He gave you and to hide it in the ground and not to do anything with it. That is not acceptable. There will be a day. I'll be gentle with you right now. There will be a day of accountability. I thought about this. If you've ever gotten one of those nice letters from those nice people called the IRS that says you are being audited. Okay. Well, listen. That, that is no audit at all to the audit of your account on the last day. I mean, no wise accountant is going to be there to represent you on that last day. 
It'll, all the books will be laid bare. What do you think about God? What you think about God? Did you hear me? And I said the fourth word of the Bible, in the beginning, who? Yeah. He's the creator, he's the owner, he's the sustainer. Whatever you think about God will determine what you do with what you've been given. Some use it extremely well. Some use it not extremely well, but well. Some do nothing with it at all. Let me say again, that's like digging a hole in the ground and putting the money in it. It's unacceptable. So what should be our main concern with all that we do? Well, let me tell you what it is. That we do whatever we do for God's glory, the salvation of souls, the advancement of His kingdom, because we love Christ and what He did for us on the cross. That should be our goal. Look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, uh, we thought 40 years was a long time. Uh, we're waiting 2,000 years now. Amen? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and y'all look at those next two words, did what? Settle what? I'm in verse 19. That's where you've got your Bible opened up to. Verse 19, chapter 25. Those servants came and did what? Settle accounts with them. I hear it again. There is a day of judgment. There's a day of account. Remember in verse 5, back up in verse 5. I don't know if I've got this one for you or not. It's just up the page there. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. He's away for a long time. But I'm going to tell you, I think it's sooner than later. I don't know about you, but I think it's sooner than later. I'm not sure we're going to have to wait much longer. What did I tell you when I started preaching in chapter 24? This is before the outbreak in the Middle East. What did I tell you? I hope he came while I was in chapters 24 and 25. We might all be somewhat ready. Listen, if he comes while we're in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and you're not ready, ain't nobody's fault but your own. Because we've been doing what? Telling you every week, be what? Ready. Be watching. Every week we've looked at that. They had been left for a long time, Matthew 18, 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us, how many of us? Y'all know what that means? That means that Bruce Short, Mark Scrobbings, and Jimmy Easterling will individually, not corporately in this church, each of us will stand and give an account to the Lord ourselves. That's what's going to happen. Luke 16, 2. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. It's going to happen. The day to work with what God has given us is still here. We're still in that opportunity of doing good with what He has given us. It's still here. God in the day of judgment will call all men to account. 
He will call all before him to give an account for all that he's given us. That would include, listen to me guys, your church, your wife, your kids, all that you have. Really, for, all, for this life and all that he's given us so that we might do it all for his glory, we will be held accountable. So how have we used our days? How have we used our health, good or bad? Man, I'm telling you, just, just think about just for a minute to be uh, uh, Matt Misty. Think about Tori. Thinking about going to bed every night and getting up every morning with taking care of that with Tori for all these years. Just think about that. To be able to do that and to do it well for God's glory. What an opportunity. So how we've used our days, our health, good or bad, our knowledge, our memory, our understanding, our wealth, our estate, and surely our relations, how have we used them? Do we use it for His honor, the salvation of souls, and the advancement of His kingdom? Verse 20, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. Can you, I, I didn't read that very well. Let me, let me read it a little better. Master, you delivered me to five talents. Master, here, I want you to see, I've made five talents more. He was so excited. He had something to give to his master that he didn't have when his master gave it to him. Listen to what the words was, were to him. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been a faithful over a little. He called it a little. <coughs> I will set you over much. Listen to this next part. And we'll, we'll look at this when we get into a little bit of what heaven's going to look like. Enter into what? The joy of who? Wow, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Didn't we used to sing a little song about that? Yeah. Enter into the joy of our master, your master. Verse 22, he also said to who had two talents. Now here's come, here comes a guy that didn't have half the ability the other guy. He didn't, have, he didn't even have half of what the other guy had. But look what he had done. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I'm talking about, I'm thinking now, I think particularly in chapter 19 of Luke, this is all pointing towards what we will be over and what will we be doing. Are you all ready for this? There. And that's what we're going to look at. What will we be doing there? Are y'all with me? We'll have something to do with what he had given us to do here and how we handle it. I'll just tell you this. If you happen to be one of those that gets to clean the toilets at the church and you do it well, I don't suspect you'll be cleaning toilets in heaven. I'm just saying. Wow. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that he be found what? Faithful. Matthew 24, 47. Truly I say to you, he will set him over, look at this, over all his possessions. Wow. 
God does not expect equal service from all. But He expects us to do with, with it what He's given us, what He's gifted us to do. No more, no less. So if I do with what I have what I could do, and though it might be less than what John MacArthur or Josh Bice might have done, God will be pleased with that. Are you with me? I'll go to heaven. Here's how I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven having made good use of what I had. The man who do less started with the less, but he still had a twofold return. But we cannot conclude from this that those who have been given more always do the best. We know that's not the case. We know that there's kids that have all kinds of IQs and all kinds of brains, but they don't use it to the best of their ability. That happens in the church in spiritual matters all the time. We can be lazy sluggards in the church too, just like outside the church. So we learn two things in this, these verses 20 through 23. Some persons use all that God has given them wisely. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be great to be known as a person that used what God had given us wisely? That on the day of judgment, they'll all be rewarded. If we use what gifts He has given us, we are sure to receive a reward. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, Wow, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. 2 Corinthians eight twelve. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God's not going to hold you responsible for what you don't have. Me either, but he's going to hold us responsible for what he knows he's given us. Amen? Now, this is a parable, and we don't need to press every, everything about it in detail. But maybe we can remember the one main point, okay? The master's away. He has left us in charge, and we are to do well with what he has given us while he is gone. Listen carefully. For soon, he will be returning. That's the main point. Y'all got that one? It's, it, it is just, listen, what did this man do? Somebody tell me what this guy did. Who did he blame? Huh? He blamed God. Proverbs 19.3 says, A man's own folly ruins his life. What, what, what caused this guy's trouble? He didn't do anything with what he had been given. But his heart rages against the Lord. You know what? Listen, we all need to be careful. We don't blame our wives. We don't blame somebody else. And we don't blame God. Because at judgment day, there won't be no blame game. 
won't be any blame game at Judgment Day. But you know what? Isn't it somebody, one of you husbands tell me, tell me it's not just in a man to blame somebody else. That, that is as natural as what Eve and Adam did in the garden. Are y'all with me? That is just as natural to what the first man and worst woman did. She blamed him, blamed God, and he, he did, just did the same thing. That's just what men do. It won't work at judgment. I'm telling you it won't work. So this servant, he, he unashamedly blames the Lord. If he had not been so demanding... He says, if you'd not been so, been so demanding, I would have done more. Men will often find a way to blame someone. Here the man condemned himself. The master tells him where the problem is. So where was the problem in this scripture? He was wicked and lazy. Wow. How about, how many, how about me just saying this again? If we're not using the talents that he's given us, okay? We don't want it to be said of us what was said of this man. He was wicked and slothful or lazy. This man had offered nothing more than an excuse with no repentance. Wow. You know, it, I don't think it would have been too late to beat his chest and say, Lord, I am so sorry. Have mercy on me. Didn't happen, though, did it? If he had been scared, he surely would have done something. He didn't know God. Surely he would have invested what he had with the money changers. Now, let me tell you what that means. I, I don't I, 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 What's the interest rate to buy a car now? I have no idea. I don't plan on buying one. Let's say it's 12%. In Roman economy, it's much like our economy. If you were going to borrow money, you paid about 12% interest in this economy. If you were going to loan money, you got about 6%. Eh, we're not much different than that now. Probably we're getting less on a return. But he says, look, at least you could have done it. Just invested it with the bank and had me something on my return. You know, that, that's probably another lesson somewhere else that Tom can teach us about working hard uh, with, with your labor is probably more productive than working with your money trying to invest it. That's something Bob and, and uh, maybe Brother Bob and, and Tom can teach us sometime. Hard work, okay, I, what's the scripture says? All hard work leads to profit. By mere talk leads to poverty, but hard work leads to, to, uh, to good. A wicked and slothful life of the Lord will never be excused. Let me say that again. A wicked and slothful and lazy life for the Lord will never be excused at judgment. What do you all expect me to do? What do you expect other people to do? To excuse our whatever, right? Are you all with me? That won't work on the day of judgment. You're do dealing with a holy and a just God. I'm just telling you the scripture guys not being chosen unbelief not being able to repent and believe will forevermore be nothing but excuses 
People do not repent and turn from their wicked and lazy ways because their deeds are evil. So, why did you not repent and believe? Why did you not examine yourselves? Why did you not pray to God for the power to overcome sin? What, what would he say? What, what, would he say on, what would he say on the day of judgment? You were wicked and lazy. Because, he, listen, it doesn't matter what it, the sin is in our life. By the Spirit and by His Word and by His power, we can do what? We can overcome it. And if we don't overcome it, we ought to die trying. Somebody say amen. Can we not read? Can we not hear? Can we not pray and avail ourselves more to the graces of God? Oh, I, you get to heaven and say, Lord, I just never did understand your scripture. And he'll say, what? You didn't ever come to Wednesday night Bible study. <clears throat> Why did you not keep the Lord's day and come to the Lord's supper observance? If you had done what you could have done with what you if you had done with what you could have done, you would have not had to blame God or anybody else. And think about this. Did ever once in our life we beat our chest and ask for mercy? Man, I'm telling you, you talk about a ground to fall on, that's a ground to fall on. Beating your chest and crying for mercy. Not making excuses. Did y'all hear it? If you should get to judgment and the Lord asks you, why in the world didn't you use what I gave you? Don't blame Him. Beat your chest and say, it was nobody's fault but my own. Have mercy on me. <clears throat> we must grasp this, that the last day of judgment, God will be found just. Sinners will be found wicked, slothful, and liars and will end up condemning themselves. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. He has ten. We had ten. He was given five, made five, and got another one now that the other one didn't do anything with. For everyone who has, has will more be given and we will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and it says this, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 12, 48. But the one who did not know and didn't, <clears throat> did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Okay. But the one who did not know, did not have understanding, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. Y'all know what that means? That would, would mean, let's say for the last five years, you've been hearing preaching out of the book of Matthew about repentance and belief in Christ. <clears throat> what that means is if you never repent and believe, you would have been better off never to have heard that. But by the grace of God, you've heard it. Now, what I'm doing this morning is begging you to do something with what you've heard. Repent and believe the gospel. (sighs) 
Matthew 13, 12, for the one who has, more will be given. He'll have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Matthew 8, 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown in the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Somebody tell me that Jesus Christ does not speak often and over and over again that there will be a day of what? What? Of judgment. God often in this life reprise men and women of those gifts which He's given them when they do not make use of them for God's glory. We don't use it, we'll lose it. He'll give it to somebody that will. When they do not use what they have been given for the betterment of the souls of others, when their motivation is not a love for Christ and a gratitude towards God. But this is not what happened here. What we have here we see is that no man's gifts, whether nature or providence, will be of any value to him in the day of judgment, listen to this, unless he used them. Did y'all hear that? And not only used them, but used them for the right reason. For God's glory, for, being of his, for the well-being of his own soul and the souls of others, for the advancement of God's kingdom through evangelism and the local church. Listen, you know what, this, this is kind of like the law. This is like, kind of like the Ten Commandments. Uh, wh- why did we do these things? We did them out of gratitude and love for God and for his son Jesus Christ, not to get rewards. For all those that have been unprofitable. Hell will be their eternal home. Where there's misery. And there will be continual weeping and gnashing of the teeth. So this morning, may we have some understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Those who have the seed of God, those who are born again, will make use of the grace of God for its intended purpose. Our, 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 our use of our gifts is not for our glory or for, for our well-being. It is for the glory of God and for the advancement of His kingdom. For the well-being of the Master. The servant will make good use of what he's been given. He will improve them for the honor and glory of God. So we not only have to do well, do well and work well, but we've got to do it for the right reason. For the glory of God, the advancement of his kingdom. And in return will be rewarded with further gifts of grace. But if a man does not make use of what he has for God's glory, what he has will be taken and give those who make good use of it of what they have for his glory. There will be no advantage to the ones who, who had but did not use their gifts. So in your discussion with yourself or with your friend or with your wife or with your family today, here's three points I want you to talk about. <clears throat> and, and on the Spanish, I didn't get it changed. But on the English, I got it changed. Jesus is away on a trip. He has been, His glory has started. He is away. He's away on a trip. He's waiting for the Lord to tell Him to return. It's pretty simple. Jesus is away on a trip. 
He has left us resources and work to do in his local church. Somebody say amen. Work that he has not only given you to do, but y'all ready for this one? He has equipped you to do. Number three, he has been away longer than expected. Number four, he will be back soon. Don't be caught like those were in the days of Noah. Drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and having a high time. Number five, we are to be waiting, watching, and today we, we found out we're to be what? Working. Working. You've got work to do in your own life. You've got work to do in your family. You've got work to do in your church. You've got work to do in society. Lord knows our marriages, our families, our kids, and our society need some God. And number six, when he returns, he will settle accounts. If we are not doing this, him coming back will be a problem. And the problem is that we do not know ourselves. It's not that we deserve what he has done for us or what he's doing and what he is about to do. It's, it's not about any of that. It's, it's because he's given us work to do for his honor and glory. And just remember this. The bottom line is this. The wages of sin is death. You know what he did? Yet when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, when we were weak, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners. Are y'all listening? This is why we need to love Him. This is why we, we ought to be motivated to serve Him. When, he were, when we were His very enemies, Christ went to the cross, took my penalty, took my sins upon Himself, and died for my sins. And listen, not only that, but after he died on that cross, and it was a terrible death. We can't imagine how terrible the death was. For 24 hours, well, for 18 hours, we would all have been begging to die. Spent three days in the tomb, resurrected 40 days here, went back to heaven. Listen, he didn't just stop with his paying our penalty and and uh, taking my place and being my substitute, when he got up there, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in me, to be my helper, to help me and assist me to do what he left me here to do. I'm going to tell you, we will be excuseless on that day without Christ. Come to Christ.